Her passion and curiosity centers around the quality of how we meet, see, hear, speak, learn with, and encounter one another in organizational systems. She believes how we might encourage dialogue is not only more humane, but it also enables us, our colleagues, and our society to flourish. Working at the intersection of leadership, change, dialogue, and mindfulness, she's presented her research to audiences throughout the world and is recognized by the Thinkers 50 radar of global management thinkers. Her recent research with John Higgins on speaking truth to power, examining how perceptions of power enable and silence others, is the subject of her new book, Speak Up, Say What Needs to Be Said, and Hear What Needs to Be Heard. As well as running her own business, she's a professor of leadership and dialogue at Ashridge Executive Education, part of Hold International Business School. Previously, she was a consultant with Deloitte, an executive at Boo.com, and worked in strategy consulting in what is now the strategy arm of Computer Science Corporation. Educated at Cambridge University, she gained an MA in land economy, a master's in change agent skills and strategies at Surrey University, and a master's in research at Cranfield School of Management, where she also earned her PhD. Most valiantly, she's the mother of two wonderful daughters, who test her regularly on her powers of mindfulness and dialogue. Join me on this episode of the Curvebenders podcast with Megan Rates. Hi there, this is David Knorr, host of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm excited to share insights with you at the intersection of the future of work and strategic relationships. Make no mistake about it, there are a number of forces in the next two decades that will dramatically change the way we live, the way we work, the way we play, and the way we serve others. And I believe there are these relationships that will come into our lives that can change both the direction and destination of where we're headed. Those are the individuals I call curve benders. So in each episode, I want to share with you insights from our research, from our interviews of great guests and their incredible experiences. I want to invite people to share their ideas and examples of not just coaches and mentors, but real curve benders that have had a profound impact on their lives. Specifically, we're going to talk about pragmatic ideas in the evolution of your skills, your knowledge, and your behaviors. So let's get started. The way I see it, innovative teams thrive through visionary leaders. The high school my daughter graduated from this past May held a modified in-person graduation ceremony this past Saturday. Held in our football stadium, so immediate families, the students, and the faculty could be socially distant, it was a touching tribute to the challenging end to their senior year. Dr. Fauci would be proud as we all wore masks and didn't gather before or afterward. For most families, it was the first time we had been on the school campus since last March when classes were canceled and remote learning became the norm. Like many across the country, their prom was canceled and graduation recognitions for four years of hard work were delivered virtually. The exuberant commencement speaker referenced their experience as a fantastic training ground for leadership success as measured in what others achieve. His comments, along with a recent McKinsey 
quarterly article on why you've got to put your portfolio on the move made me think of several clients I'm currently working with in various stages of innovation sprints, strategy visualization, and agile alignment versus others I've been in touch with for months, if not years, who are still contemplating about whether they should do anything differently. I believe a compelling strategy, lasting change, developing exceptional talent, real innovation, and extraordinary leadership are all fairly easy to intellectualize. Unfortunately, they're incredibly elusive to internalize and find the courage to actualize. Every leader currently on the fence about using COVID-19 as an impetus to rethink, reimagine, if not reinvent a key part of their business is struggling with the right leadership formula. It's easy to think of what's happening to us, this global pandemic, the racial divide, and the economic uncertainty taking much away from all of us. It's an entirely different DNA to combine one part strategy, two parts prudent judgment, and three parts speed and agility to create a vision and a path forward. Beyond all that you don't seem to have control over, your clarity of intent, focus on a set of prioritized pursuits, and an ecosystem of strategic relationships as an independent sounding board is what you do have control over to create sense and sensibility. Read the rest of this article at norgroup.com slash blog. You can also join our conversation, ask questions, and engage other like-minded professionals in our online community. Learn more at norgroup.com slash forum for exclusive content, resources, and events. Welcome to the Curvebenders podcast. I'm elated to have a recent uh, colleague, friend, someone certainly I, I admire from a distance uh, that I met in London. Uh, this past November, and what really resonated in when she spoke, and I think as you'll hear some of her comments, uh, is this uh, unapologetic uh, notion that you have to have both courage to speak to power, but also the humility to really listen and uh, be open to ideas. So I want to welcome Professor Megan Rates from the uh, Ashridge Halt University in UK. Megan, welcome. Thank you very much. Nice to be here, David. It's great to have you. And you're, you're the author of the book, Speak Up. And I love the subtitle, Set, Say What Needs to Be Said and Hear What Needs to Be Heard. For those who may not know as much about you, talk a little about where you've been, what you've done, because I heard management consulting and board presentations. And Megan, I also have to admit, I could listen to you read the phone book and the British accent is just so engaging. So, so I'm excited to hear about your background. Okay. Um, I have a background, as you say, in management consulting. Um, I've always uh, been interested in leadership and strategy and how you can create strategic direction in an organization, but what you create on paper almost certainly won't happen in practice. And that's because of the way people interact, the dynamics of groups, and the way that we communicate uh, with one another. So, over time, I've become more and more interested in organizational dialogue. That's what I did my um, doctorate in. Uh, and now my focus of attention is how we show up with one another inside organizational systems, which uh, make it very difficult for us to be present 
and in a place where we can be authentic and really listening and respecting and supporting one another. So that's where my work is at the moment. I love the fact that you really take both sides of just kind of the lens from both sides and you talk about the courage to speak truth to power, but also the humility and skill, if you're the one with the power, to listen to the truth. Can you talk about what you believe? And let's let's take it from both sides. What do you believe keeps people from speaking truth to power? And and where does the 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 inability or lack of humility and skill come from in those leaders that have gone up in the organization or even in our everyday lives? Yeah, so this is one of the most important findings uh, from my research is that essentially a lot of us, well, I get a lot of clients at the moment, particularly since publishing the book, who um, say to me that they, in inverted commas, they aren't speaking up enough. Um, and then they asked me to go and sort them out, you know, make them speak up, make them brave, give them courage. And then uh, you go and speak to they, uh, and this has actually happened in my research, they say that, yes, but last time somebody spoke up, they disappeared. And, uh, And then it becomes obvious that speaking up is relational. In other words, you know, we consider what we're going to speak up about if it's meaningful to us but the very next thing we think about and consider is the risk of speaking up and if we are fearful of consequences uh, we are likely to stay silent Um, the problem is that many of us don't realize that we might be intimidating to others so I work a lot with leaders who are honestly blind to the fact that they wouldn't be considered as enormously approachable by other people. But of course, once you're in a position of power and have a number of titles and labels on you, uh, you do become uh, more remote and more scary and more intimidating, even if you don't mean to. So we fear consequences of speaking up, most predominantly being regarded um, and perceived negatively or upsetting the other person. And then on the other side, We very often, if we are in positions of power, we're just blind to the fact that others might find us intimidating. And that's where a lot of my work is. I'm also fascinated by when you talk about positions of power, it's it's, it's not just uh, organizational or hierarchical power. It could be everyday situations in our roles or kind of personalities or circles of friends. So this isn't just, you know, a boss or a boss's boss. This could happen every day with, with people all around us. That's right. I talk about titles and labels. So it's a human trait that we put titles and labels on one another. And the obvious ones are gender, race, age. There might be job title, appearance, you know, you name it, we label it. And the fascinating thing is that those labels mean different things. They convey different levels of status and power and authority depending on our context. So depending on our organizational culture, our national culture, um, these labels and title convey a kind of right in our minds about whether we expect ourselves and others to speak up or whether, whether other people are worth, if you like, listening to. So if you want to disrupt patterns of speaking up and listening up, then you have to engage with how we construct power. 
So why is it that we look at some people and we think that they have higher status than others? And very commonly, you know, hierarchy is a big part of that. But my goodness, there's loads more labels that uh, feed into that. And they're very contextual. Is that what makes it scary to speak to power or truth to power? Um, it can be. It depends on uh, on people's history and experience as well. So I I can be scared and intimidated by a person because in my context, hierarchy is really important and they're high up in the hierarchy. Um, and I fear, you know, I fear the consequences of getting it wrong. Um, so what we need to do is start to unpick the reasons why we see status the way that we do and start to change the stories around them. But that's, you know, that's tricky work. That's not done overnight. And of course, with things like gender and race, you know, we're talking about forms of unconscious bias as well and uh, ways that we've titled and labeled people and had social cues on that all the way through our lives. And uh, it's a, it's a, can be quite a tricky business unpicking that. You also talk about, and, and you and I have both experienced this, leaders with all the greatest intentions tend to say some fairly cliche-ish things that, that you're not convinced work. So, for example, you know, my door is always open to you or bring your whole self to work. Talk about those uh, potential misperceptions. Yes. Uh, very early on in our research, we, did an art, we wrote an article uh, for Harvard Business Review called um, – the problem with saying your door is always open. Um, and it is a common phrase and it's very well-meaning. Um, and I'm not saying don't use these phrases. The danger is in then expecting that people will then come through your door and actually speak to you openly um, because it takes a lot more than that to do that. And, you know, saying my door is always open is, is I suppose, conveying if you've got something to say, come to my territory. Uh, it's also conveying um, humorously, uh, I'm lucky enough to have a door. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, and I can close that door. And it's sort of on my terms. So we can say these phrases very well, meaningly. Uh, uh, but actually, in reality, of course, it's a lot more difficult for people to speak up sometimes. And if we miss that if we're blind to that we then forget to be skillful in how we invite people to say what they want to say we just assume that they're being open when they're not so that blindness is a big factor particularly with managers that are very well-meaning and very genuinely want people to be open they forget as i said before they kind of forget how scary they are you talk about uh, you brought up unconscious bias, and and in some ways, uh, based on on our perception of status and authority, we also make these lists. Talk about lists that we make, and I love the description of everything from the hardware store of who am I really going to listen to, to the dinner parties of where am I going to sit and talk to others. So talk about how do we make those lists? Why do we make them? Li- you know those, and and how to how to really subside that approach. The, the little list phrase came from an interview with the chief executive um, who was new in post and was one of those leaders that you've just been talking about, David, you know, very, very well-meaning kind of wanted people to speak up, um, used the phrase, I want people to bring their whole selves to work. Uh, and then he paused in the interview and he said, um, but of course, I do have my little list of the people that fit 
and the people that don't. <laughs> and he was essentially referring to his little list in his mind when he was determining who to listen to and whose opinion to discount. And, and actually, we all have our own little list in our mind of who we want to hear from and who we don't, you know, and out comes the little list when we're at a dinner party and that moment comes when we have to take a seat and we have to choose who to mix, sit next to if we're lucky enough to choose. Uh, and we go through these labels and titles very quickly and we judge and we think, oh my goodness, I don't want to know. Uh, and then we look at another person and go, oh yeah, yeah, no, I want to listen to them. And um, the point is we won't, we won't get rid of the list uh, and in fact, the list can be very helpful for us. I mean, it's there to keep us safe, actually, fundamentally. Um, but what we do need to look at is why are some people on the list and some people not? Um, and, you know, and a good question to ask yourself is the people that I usually go to for an opinion, do they all look a bit like me? You know, do they all are they all very quite similar um, and that can be an indication that there's unconscious bias in your list. You know, you're discounting voices perhaps for, you know, kind of the wrong reasons. Uh, so, you know, listen up to who you, whose opinion you want to hear uh, and just check out whose voices are missing. And we need to sort of critically ask ourselves, why are those voices missing? Um, and uh, what do I need to to bring in those voices? What's the consequences of not hearing them? And 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 I've I've noticed that people notice that people notice who you're discounting or who you're dismissing or who you really value. And I've seen this in meetings or in discussions. Yeah. So um, we send signals all the time, don't we? You know, um, when we're in meetings. Uh, when we're at home, we're, we're communicating to other people um, whether we are ready to listen or not and whether we're paying attention. And we like to sometimes think that we can mask that and mask some of our true feelings and pretend, but actually people are fairly astute. And in particular, if you're in a team meeting and somebody has just been brave and spoken up about something, um, all eyes turn to the person in power and you are really in the spotlight in terms of the signals and the response that you then have. And people are really watching to see, okay, how is this landing? And do they want to hear from this person? Do they want to hear from me? And your signals and responses then dictate what happens next. Um, and unfortunately, if you're in a position of power, uh, you know, even like a raised eyebrow can be interpreted as a, oh, goodness me, don't challenge, don't say that again. Um, and, and very often we're, we're blissfully unaware of some of the signals that we're sending out and how they're affecting people and in particular how they're silencing. I love the fact that you refer to them as either, you know, we're sending speak up or shut up signals. That's right. <laughs> and when you do that too many times, you're not giving people that 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 environment, as Amy Edinson talks about, that 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 psychological safety to say it's okay to uh, disagree. Civil discourse, but but disagree. Um, talk about if you could. Um, I, I love the, the 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 bow that you put on the gift in that complacency 
uh, in many ways can be that cancer, can be that threat. And unless there's awareness, humility, really compassion and skill, you're not going to continue to improve in this arena. Yeah. Um, we've done, as part of uh, our research over the last five years, it's involved um, many different methods of gathering data, if you like, and understanding on this subject, one of which is a big survey that has um, uh, over 5,000 responses. It's a global survey. And what's one of the very many interesting things in that um, that comes across is that we tend to think that we're pretty good at speaking up and we tend to think that we're absolutely brilliant at listening. <laughs> we call it the superiority illusion. Uh, most of us think that we are a bit better than the rest of our colleagues. And obviously the maths doesn't add up at that. So there's, there's a blind spot, which can be a complacency around listening up in particular. You know, we assume that we're quite good at this and, you know, we've never been told otherwise. Therefore, we don't need to do anything about it. But we're likely to rate ourselves higher than um, the people that are around us would rate us. Um, so we probably need to do a bit more work. And the other thing that makes us complacent is we tend to forget our advantage. Um, we wrote another article called Advantage Blindness. Do you have advantage blindness with a colleague of mine, Ben Fuchs and John Higgins? And um, that talks about um, how we can be in positions where we assume that everybody else finds it as easy as we do to either speak up or listen up. And indeed, very often, obviously, that isn't the case, but it leads to complacency. We think to ourselves, oh, no, we're doing pretty well. Um, and the final thing I will add on complacency, really interesting uh, in the survey results, the more senior you are, the more optimistic, I might say deluded, <laughs> you become that people are speaking up to you when they're not. So the more senior the person, the more they are likely to say to me, yeah, it's pretty good around here. You know, people are speaking up. They're pretty open. It's all good uh, when that's not the case. So the more senior we are, sometimes the more complacent we can become as well. So there's a lot stacked against us, I'm afraid. And, 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 and most of those leaders tend to get a version of the truth or a smokescreen version of that truth versus what's really happening. Uh, change the context for a second, if you could, and really extrapolate your research, your work, your passion forward. As you, you and I discussed, curve benders are strategic relationships in our future that dramatically change both the trajectory, direction, and destination of where we're going, how we're going to get there. How do you believe speaking truth to power could evolve, will evolve with the advent of all the technology that's coming into our lives between AI and blockchain and machine learning and drones and all these uh, technology disruptions and the need for organizations to evolve? What do you believe is going to happen to this dialogue of truth to power? Hmm. Oh, if I had the answer to that, that would be good. Um, but it is the content of one of our chapters. We did look at this in a chapter in the book. Um, and uh, essentially, data, the access to data and the technology that we have on the digital uh, platforms that we have available to us, contain within them the possibilities of improving the way that we communicate with one another. So applications are becoming available where we can 
um, have more data about how we are speaking. For example, in a meeting, you know, you can see that uh, we're not that far away from having data. Well, this does exist, but we're not far away from many of us having access to data that says, oh, by the way, do you realize that you've spoken for 80 percent of this meeting so far? Or, oh, by the way, do you realize that um, you may have spoken not very much, but you haven't actually asked a question yet. All you've done is advocate. So we can have information on as well on the emotions of other people and how they're feeling. You know, what's the response to what I've just said? And all of this data and tech kind of relies on a couple of things. One is our ability to assimilate it. Um, and with the possibilities of a lot of data, what data do we pay attention to and, and can we cope with all of that? Um, and also, you know, what's our intent with it? So why are we using data? The same data could be used really positively in order to frame better conversations and to hear the voices that we currently don't hear. Or, and or, the data could be used to manipulate um, and, in fact, to exert power even more so than has been the case in the past. So it's not, I don't think it's not, it's not as simple as saying, you know, what, will things get better or not? It, it's a matter of like, well, they could, um, but we need a, we need to, with the breakneck speed that's going on, somehow we need to carve out enough time to have a reflective conversation around the consequences of how we use technology and how it is impacting who gets heard um, and then the consequences that that has in turn. So in many ways makes the key pillars, key attributes that you're uh, really strong advocates for in things like skills, in compassion, in humility, awareness, even that much more critical as, as we as we bring technology into it. Yes, exactly. Uh, so again, you know, if we if we don't realize the power of the tech that we're using and the data that we're using, and if we're not using it in a way that uh, enables flourishing in the workplace. Um, then it could be really quite dangerous and used um, to silence. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, there's all sorts of ways that that might happen, that I, again, that I go into uh, in the book. So, w again, we talk about curve benders as relationships that, that have a profound impact in the direction and destination of our lives. I'm curious, can you think of, and you can just use first names if you want or their full names, can you think of... Uh, individuals in your journey who've had that impact on you? So in some ways, who have been some of your curve benders that not just have helped you achieve what you've achieved, but who you've become? I think um, in the work context, I would point to, I mean, two close collaborators over the last five years. Uh, I've done quite a lot of research on mindful leadership. So um, examining how mindfulness practice might uh, affect leadership capacity. Uh, and I, I ran that project with Michael Chaskelson, who I've known for many years. And in our conversations, he's a, a deep expert in mindfulness. 
And that he, you know, he is absolutely fundamental, has been fundamental. And the conversations I've had with him have been fundamental in my understanding of what it is to be mindful and present uh, and encourage me into that space in terms of my research, which has absolutely altered me as an individual and also my understanding of leadership over the last five years. And, and similarly, in this project on speaking truth to power, my co-author and co-researcher, John Higgins, you know, I still remember five years ago when he, uh, on the phone, I remember exactly where it was. And he said to me on the phone, um, I think we should do a project on speaking truth to power. Uh, and his level of excitement and passion in this was completely infectious. And uh, he is a voice and uh, that, that is crucial because he's, we, we kind of think similarly in some areas, but actually we're quite different as well in the way that we pay attention to the world. And in that difference, uh, that's enabled me to learn and expand my understanding and then eventually, you know, write this book as well. Um, and I, I just simply wouldn't have done it had he not initially actually instigated that conversation. One of the common uh, questions that comes up when I talk about curve benders as as relationships that come into our lives and dramatically impact kind of our direction, our our future, is is also how do you become one, Megan? As you think about the impact you're having, whether it's your students or others, uh, and let's keep that work context uh, in mind. Um, what do you believe it would take, or it takes, to become a a great curve bender for somebody else? Um, I'm not sure trying to be one is, is the, is the way that I would go. I think I, I know, well, at least I've had the feedback that I have helped most when I've shown what I'm absolutely passionate about. And when I can speak from a place which is full of curiosity, interest, excitement, and passion about a particular subject or why a subject matters deeply then then you know it, it I, I guess you're heard in a different way by others and occasionally might inspire others to pick up what they're also passionate about so I think for me it's it's talking from a place which is genuine um, and people can kind of just going back to what we said earlier, actually, in terms of signals, people read that. They know that they can tell that they can tell your intent, I think. So we do. I suppose we have to do a lot of work with ourselves in order to become curve benders for others. You know, knowing what we stand for, what matters and and doing the work that means we understand that and inquire and continue to learn in it, I think, is 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 what I'd say that. You brought up passion several times. Why is that so crucial? Um, it's, it's a good question. Um, it's crucial for me. It's crucial for me and it's crucial for others. It's crucial for me because it's an integral part of how I and we judge ourselves and our lives and what we've done with them. <laughs> you know, have I followed my passion? Have I accessed my passion? 
And when I access my passion, I can do things that I'm not able to with other subjects. Um, and then, as I said before, you know, passion, I think, is can be infectious and can inspire. Um, and so it's also important for the way that we impact others in our lives. So for those who are interested in you and your work, what's the best way for them to find you and get in touch? Um, the, more about my work obviously is in the book that was published last year. Um, and another way of accessing me is my website, which is meganrates.com. So that's a fairly easy way of, of getting hold of me, but also getting hold of there's numerous resources. Now there's lots of videos, lots of articles, long articles, short articles, practitioner articles, academic articles, whatever you're looking for on that website. Um, so that's probably the, the best place to go. You've been delightful. Thank you. And for those of you who may have joined us uh, a little later, you've been listening to Professor Megan Rates. Uh, she's Professor of Leadership and Dialogue at the Ashridge Halt University. Uh, I love that she speaks about and researches, consults, supervises, and this really incredible intersection of leadership, change, dialogue, and mindfulness. So, Megan, uh, on behalf of our listeners, thanks for being with us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation, David. If you've listened to the Curvebenders podcast for a few episodes, you know that I'm writing the Curvebenders book on why strategic relationships will power your nonlinear growth in the future of work. This will be book number 11 with tools, ideas, insights, case studies, great interviews like the one you heard today. In essence, what you need to create a personal and professional growth roadmap in your future of work. I'm excited to begin sharing key sections with the members of our NOR forum community. So go to norgroup.com slash forum and check out the Curve Benders thread for more details. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Curve Benders podcast on the courage to speak truth to power with Megan Rates. Although we recorded the session well before the global pandemic became prevalent, I think you would agree that so many of Megan's ideas are even more relevant in leading remote teams. Three comments Megan made during our interview really resonated with me. Number one, I love her comment about beyond the courage to speak truth to power. It also takes humility and skills on behalf of the leaders to listen to truth. How many executives do we all know who are much more prone to hear what they want to hear, not proactively seek and listen for what they need to hear. Number two, power creates distance. I love her description of titles and labels, right? And how scary, uh, as much as we don't think we might be scary, how scary leaders can be perceived and a smokescreen and really proactively finding ways to invite them in. Last but not least, number three, careful with cliches, particularly leaders who, and we've all heard this, right? My door is always open, says I'm lucky to have a door. You're going to come into my arena and I can always close the door and close you out. So even with great intentions, I think words should be chosen carefully and particularly as leaders, are you 
Do you have enough humility? Are you humble enough? Are you listening intently enough to truth that you need to hear? Don't forget, I turned the show notes from these podcasts into more in-depth articles. So check them out in our free member-based community, NOR Forum. Join us at norgroup.com slash forum. I'm so thankful for our listeners on the Curvebenders podcast. I want to keep producing great content most beneficial to your personal and professional growth in this idea of future of work. So I'd love to hear your feedback. Don't forget to follow us on the various social media channels. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, and I'm using the hashtag CurvebendersPodcast. So make sure you follow that for all of our latest updates. Thank you.